Welcome to Success Authority's Conversation Street with Leadership Authority, Peter Beaumont, and with Business Culture Authority, Ron Lehman, and me, Linda Ruland, Success Authority's founder. How do we improve uh, or help people really improve how they do their businesses and and we're kind of aimed at small and medium-sized businesses a lot of um, our focus lately has been those companies that start an entrepreneur starts a company and then there comes that point where he or she has to start being a different kind of leader mm-hmm. um, where they have to build a yep. leadership team today on conversation street we are delighted to have dr gordy curfee with us um, and uh, I have known Gordy for quite some time. We're not going to mention years because that's not appropriate. Um, but um, I... But you have my condolences. Yes, thank you, Peter. <laughs> I really... Oh, I'm sure you meant that for him. No. Oh, really? All of us. Great. Um, <laughs> one of the things I really like uh, Gordy's take on leadership, and I think for one thing, it's it's... It's so differentiated from so much of the stuff that's out there, which is um, kind of derivative and kind of repetitive and kind of simplistic. And uh, the thing I like about Gordy's work is he he goes deeper with that. And so we are delighted to have him. And Gordy, I'm going to let you just sort of introduce yourself and the kind of work you do, and then we'll um, we'll start the conversation. Well, thank you very much for having me, first of all. And then I guess the second thing I'd say is certainly our experiences shape, you know, how we think and who we are. Um, Just in terms of my background, I uh, grew up in northeastern Minnesota, so on the North Shore of Lake Superior, and then uh, left when I was 17 to go out west to go to school at the Air Force Academy. And uh, played hockey at the academy, graduated from the academy, um, and actually spent uh, another seven years at the academy, both uh, as an assistant coach in the hockey program, and then eventually became a tenured professor at the Air Force Academy, where I was in charge of their leadership development programs. Um, after a career in the military, I got out, joined a company uh, based out of Minneapolis called Personnel Decisions International, and I was a GM for PDI, uh, both in Denver, started up that office from scratch, and then uh, ran their Minneapolis office, their largest office uh, here in the Twin Cities, uh, before leaving uh, before leaving PDI, and essentially going to work out on my own. And I have been running my own business for the last twenty five years. And the business sort of falls into five or six different buckets. Um, one is we do a lot of uh, formal leadership assessments. We've got, uh, you know, a, a small business or a medium-sized business uh, looking to, say, hire a new CFO or potentially promoting somebody from within into a much bigger role. And they want to get a read in terms of what this person's strengths and areas of improvement are for the position in question and whether or not they're going to be a good fit with the company. So we do in-depth psychological assessments on these folks. Um Second thing I do, uh, we do is we do a lot of executive coaching. Um, sometimes it is helping people transition into bigger roles. Other times it's people just wanting some help uh, in terms of the roles that they're in. And sometimes we get people with, uh, you know, 
a sticky note attached to their forehead saying, fix me or I'm fired. You know, companies call us up to, to, to you know, because they've got an individual leader that they want to have uh, looked at more in more in depth, or they have a team that uh, needs help, or they've got uh, just some general questions about helping people, helping high potentials be more effective or helping leaders in general be more effective. Well, uh, clearly, you you know, you, you've been, uh, you know, filling your time. I'd say you're sitting around with your feet up, which is great. Um, well, I'd, I guess the, the thing I'd, I'd like to ask you about is with all the leaders you work with, are there some commonalities that come up either in things that they're struggling with or things that they need to know about? Ah, well, I, you know, a lot of what I've been doing the last five years or so has been working with teams. And um, and really, my work with teams started much earlier than that, but really a lot of focus more recently has been on teams. And one of the things I firmly believe is that leadership is a team sport. Yeah, you cannot do, uh, you cannot run a business, whether it's small or medium size or a multinational company, you can't do that by yourself. And, and the weird thing is individuals get all the credit. You know, Elon Musk gets all the credit for, for Tesla. He gets all the credit for SpaceX. Yet he clearly doesn't build the, the cars. He doesn't build the rocket ships. He didn't design any of that stuff. You know, he, 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 he you know, took teams of people to be able to make those companies succeed. And one of the things I, th one of the things I think where we've largely missed, missed the boat with respect to leadership is, a lot of the things you read about leadership really does focus on the individual. You know, what is this person's individual qualities? You know, are they authentic? Are they smart? Do they have the right, you know, uh, technical expertise, business savvy, um, personality traits, EQ and the, and the like. Don't get me wrong. All that stuff is important. But one of the things we oftentimes forget about or don't even talk about is the team of people that this leader has chosen to surround him or, self, him or herself with because it's that group of people that's actually going to get stuff done. And what, we, what I've been finding is that um, leaders can be force multipliers or force diminishers when it comes to building teams. You see some people who are really good at surrounding themselves with the right people, getting those people working effectively together, and then driving for results. And you have a lot more people who aren't particularly adept at that. You know, the, the interesting, interesting sort of factoid is, is uh, research shows that only one in 25, one in, one in five teams are high performing. Eight, four out of five leaders believe they lead a high performing team. Wow. There is a big perceptual gap between what leaders believe that, you know, what kind of teams leaders think they're leading versus what reality is on the ground. And uh, and I think um, I think organizations, by and large, have set leaders up for failure with respect to uh, building high-performing teams. You, Gordy, do you find that um, you know that that perception gap between the team I think I have and and the one that may actually be operating is some of that sort of our built-in bias to promote people who are like us or who will um, think like we do, or as opposed to, um, you know, getting people in who 
may have a different point of view. No, I, I think that's absolutely true, Ron. Um, you know, uh, a guy named Fred Luthens did a really interesting piece of research back in the late 80s. And what he found was that there were two kinds of leaders in organizations. There were what he called successful leaders and there were effective leaders. Successful leaders were bright, ambitious, said all the right stuff, super good at strategic sucking up, <laughs> were really focused on getting promoted. That's what their job was. Their, their, their job was to them was to get promoted, get to the next level. They could care less about the people working for them. They could care less about getting results. It was all about posturing, positioning, getting promoted. Um, effective leaders, on the other hand, are, are much more humble, much more focused on the team, and they're super competitive, but they're, they're trying to beat the competition. They're very focused on what the competition is doing and what do we need to do to beat them. They could care less about getting promoted. And what ends up happening, in, in especially with larger companies, is a little bit, well, it happens in small companies too, because a lot of small owners get hood, hoodwinked by this because they confuse loyalty with competence. And, mm -hmm. and um, large companies are really susceptible to this sort of thing, where these people come in, they look great, they do a great job managing up, um, they get promoted before the stuff that they've done catches up with them, and they just kind of hip hop from one job to the next, have this impressive looking resume, and not get a whole, not get much, not get much accomplished. Mm -hmm. um, and that's unfortunate because I think most companies want those effective leaders. That's who they want in in positions of authority. But more often than not, uh, succession planning, those people get overlooked. Mm -hmm. And you know, Peter, you've you've worked in a coca-cola worldwide a large organization does that resonate with you yeah i think it does i was thinking that when you said uh, they confuse loyalty with confidence most of the people who hung around and became part of the furniture were pretty fucking useless so uh, and so that resonates really well because they've been there so long they weren't challenged anymore they weren't competing and they weren't trying and so uh, I, I think that's a really good <laughs> that comment identify with even though i was 21 years it didn't apply to me of course no, um, of course not present <laughs> <laughs> company always a, excluded <laughs> but but i think there's a balance um and i think ultimately whether those people are if you make that confusion it depends really on your top leadership because if you're not stretching you you know there's a balance between i remember chairman of Coca-Cola company, Neville Isdale, uh, came in as CEO. He'd left the company for two years, came back in, and we'd gone through one of these strategic organization alignments. Mm -hmm. I think we probably know what that gobbledygook mm -hmm. means, right? Yep. <laughs> the people oh, yeah. are getting paid a lot, mostly expatriates. One of, I was one of them. And uh, although they didn't get rid of me, I missed that cut. <laughs> but the what that does is it axes out all the middle management, who, by the way, may have been around a long time or may have been around just three or four years. But by doing that, you get rid of all the experience and the guys mm -hmm. that, you know, uh, have got the playbook and the guidebook and they, they take those away with them. So um, I think it's a real, to your point, it's a real uh, challenge to manage the two, making sure you have got the competence in the people that are sticking around and bringing fresh blood in. We used to change our management. Uh, it was almost, I don't think it was, I'd like to say it wasn't by design, but most of our senior leaders changed uh, positions every three years. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, I've got one client now, Peter. It's just kind of an interesting, uh, large multinational client like like, like Coca Cola, and they move people around every cup two years, probably on average, right. eighteen months to two years. And it's it's I think it it absolutely kills teamwork. Yeah, because uh, by the time somebody figures out, you know, it takes six months, as you know, to kind of get your legs, sea legs underneath you. And, and longer, depending on yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, it, it takes, you know, okay, six months to 12 months to get your sea legs underneath you, figure out who the key stakeholders are, what do they need, how do things actually work, where can uh, my organization add value, you know, as is, is you, is you, I understand you well say, and I completely agree to this, you know, what what do they need to just do to start working on the business versus in the business, Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, um, they're gone, <laughs> you know? Or, or half their team is turned over while they're there. Yeah. You know, so it's just it to me. It's just fascinating where I see this person, these personnel moves where they're doing it to kind of groom people. Um, it, it and it absolutely, I think, destroys teamwork as well as leadership. I, I don't I think, think they're around long enough. I, I agree. I, I don't know if you've read Simon Sinek's book, the you know, um, where uh, gosh, the title is starting to. Uh, I've got it on my desk here. Hang on a second. <laughs> it's it. <laughs> It's a brilliant book because it's kind of where we're going. It's the infinite game. Uh, I'm not a Simon Sinek fan. I got to tell you that. Well, I'm a big yeah. fan, so we can yep. debate that. Yep. So the he uh, love a challenge um, and don't dodge at conflict. So we can discuss that. But yeah. the uh, one of the things he says in the book is uh, we're too many of us, and I it's, uh, it's to your point. Too many companies are playing uh, a finite game. Uh, and you know business is not about a finite it's about building thing over time and so we make we're playing a finite game and making just short-term decisions mostly for the stock market but also around people yeah right uh, and we see it in sport where coaches are brought in it's they're not successful in the first two minutes exaggerating but you know what i mean and so we change the coach my goodness what happens to the team you know, that they've just lost the guy that they had pinned all their hopes on and they got to start all over again, to your point. And it happens in companies too. I think 18 months is ridiculous. Yeah. How do you, you know, how do you build a team and really solid team? In 18, and where's the consistency and continuity for the people that uh, come under their umbrella? So I agree yeah. with you. Yeah. Well, yeah, and think, again, again, Peter, it's not just the team leader. Think about half the people underneath him or her rotating out they're doing the same thing right and and this is what i mean i i don't think organizations in in general are particularly um welcoming to teams you know every organization i work with wants teamwork they want collaboration they, they see the power of teamwork and yet organizationally they do just about everything possible to make sure it doesn't happen people get individual goals they get incented on individual goals they don't get incented on team team performance um, 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 they rotate people around, like I said. Um, so why do you, know, you think that is? What do you think that, why do you think that is? Um, you know, I think part of it is, so I'm a, I'm a PhD industrial organizational psychologist by training. And I think part of it is my field has been very instrumental in, in like building these leadership competency models. And this is what everybody needs to have in order to be a good leader. You won't find teamwork or the ability to build teams on any leadership competency model. Yet it's the coin of the realm for every Fortune 500 company. 
you go to every Fortune 500 company, you're going to have some sort of leadership competency model. Now, whether they adhere to it or use it that much is is, is, is an open question. But most most organizations pay pretty pretty close attention to it. You won't see teams or the ability to be teams anywhere on there. And I think that is, um, and so you're not hiring people who can build teams. You're not developing people. We don't train people how to build teams. Mm-hmm. We train them how to coach. We train them how to um, uh, delegate. We train them how to manage conflict. All the skills we teach leaders is very much a hub and spoke model. How do I work individually with a one, individually one-on-one with a direct report? We don't provide any training per se to say, I got eight people working for me. How do I get these eight people actually working together and get stuff done? See, and I see, and I, I, I hear you, and I agree with you. I just, I don't, und- and I don't quite understand that disconnect because we use sports analogies for everything yes. in this country, Agreed. and yet, Agreed. who are the best coaches? They're often the guys that can work. They're not the best technicians. They're not the best athletes. They're not often the best yeah. strategists. They're the ones yeah. that can actually make the team tick and exactly. make kids play in the right positions, which will they'll excel at as a team. And so it, it kind of flies in the face of that. I don't quite get it. <laughs> but think think about that analogy, Peter. That's a that's a great analogy, and I couldn't agree with you more. You know, many times we find the best coaches were B players at best. Yeah, yeah. You know, they but they were super observant and they knew how to put people together. Who gets promoted? The superstar in organizations. Yeah, it's the same as sales, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sales, yeah, yeah. yeah best, my best salesman, you know, yeah, they failed, the didn't 75%, I think, is the figure of promoted salespeople into sales management positions sure. fail. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. It, you know, it, it, I, I, a couple of thoughts on that, on two points there. One is, um, I know one of the, I, work with a lot of construction companies and just here's a ray of hope um i worked with one and the 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 gentleman who was running it he was second generation he created a leadership profile and he said if you're going to be a leader at any level in organization here's what we expect and one of the things on there was the ability to build successful teams that's great. Uh, so he awesome, he man. he came to it. Yeah. I'm not sure if he you know started with a a fine leadership uh, development profile or something, but he had that very prominently in there, and and also you know, and he wrote it. It was all written in um, in his voice, and he signed it, and it was yeah. given to everybody. But he said that is a if you want to be a leader, these these are the things you you we expect. How you need so to I show think- up as a human, and so. Um, and one of the things that he realized almost immediately was, and this hap- this is probably not just in construction, but they take the best carpenter, and now you're going to be the foreman. And so, and there's two big problems. One is they don't give them any training mm-hmm. on what that new job looks like. Mm-hmm. They also sometimes stick them with the crew they used to be part of, which that's a tough, mm-hmm. tough game. To now I'm the I'm not your your coworker anymore. Now I'm the boss, and so they fall back on either being um, a tyrant or being everybody's best friend, and neither one of those works very well. And um, and it, every time I talk to you know those frontline supervisors, they always talk about I had no idea how much of my job was going to involve people. I know how to do the work, but seventy five percent of my job is dealing with humans. And they don't, they don't 
that's not part of how they get promoted often. And so the same company that did the profile, that was one of the things they really focused on was making sure everybody understood how important people and teams were and gave them some skills and mindsets to work on that. No, I think that's fantastic, Ron. You know, the other consequence of that decision is you, you've oftentimes lost your best technician. You, know, you, you, you lose your best carpenter because, they're, again, 75, 75% of their time is not doing carpentry work anymore. It's doing the people side. So, so there's, there's the, that's the third consequence associated with that decision. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversation Street. For more information or to schedule a private conversation with success authorities, email us at inquire at successauthorities.com.